0: Zechariah 1, beginning at verse 7. This is God's holy and infallible word. We're going to read through verse 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. During the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. And then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. So that's their report. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? And so the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion But I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. That's God's word for us this morning. If you missed last week, I gave just a little bit of background of, about why we would choose Zechariah for a sermon series. And one of the big reasons was that one of our men's Bible studies studied it, and it was surprisingly relevant and practical. And while there are challenging things, there are a lot of things that come through very clearly. Last week we did the first six verses of the book, and that's the introduction to the book. And we saw three things in those verses that kind of give us an entryway into the book of Zechariah. We saw, first of all, in the six verses last week, the tragic history of God's Old Testament people leading up to the time of Zechariah we saw secondly God's gracious invitation to his people he's calling them back to himself despite that terrible history he says in verse 3 return to me and I will return to you just to stop him and be crystal clear that tragic history that we read about in the old testament that's all our history it's not just the history of the people in the old testament We've rejected God in his ways. We've messed up. And yet, for us too, God is gracious. He gives us opportunity to return to him. We saw, thirdly, how Zechariah's prophecy is especially and so clearly about Jesus. This book is about Jesus, and it's about his coming. And, of course, our ability to respond to God's call to return to him, our ability to go to God and return him, it's possible. Because of Jesus. It's possible because of God's gracious work in Jesus. Now, what we're up to are what people call the night visions of Zechariah. The night visions. In Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, future, they come to this guy, Ebenezer Scrooge. And those three visions in the night changed him to become a kind and giving man. He was this guy who always said, bah, humbug. He was a big grump. But those visions in the night changed him. Well, Zechariah tells us about a night that Charles Dickens even couldn't have dreamed of. Not three But eight visions come to the prophet. And these visions aren't made-up stories about ghosts. They're revelations from the God of heaven and earth. Verse 7, what we read says, This is the word of the Lord. And what that means is this is authoritative for us. This has got something to say to us. Just as much as a psalm or one of Paul's letters or, or the Gospels. We're given in verse 7 an exact date that this happened in the second year of Darius. And just by the way, this is a different Darius than the one in Daniel 6 when Daniel was thrown in the lion's and That was either Cyrus, the first king of Persia, or one of his governors who was called Darius. But we believe that this night, we because it's, so exact in here in in our calendar system would be february 15 519 bc is when this happened and god spoke to his people sometimes in visions before the canon of scripture was closed visions are mentioned some 80 plus times in the old testament in visions Different than in dreams, God spoke in dreams, then too. The listener was totally passive in a dream, but in in visions, the person who received the vision is more active. We see that Zechariah could interact with the angel in this vision, which is kind of amazing. Visions are in the category of, of what we call apocalyptic literature in the Bible. And we get striking imagery in apocalyptic literature. We get sometimes bizarre images. The book of Revelation is filled with this type of writing. And Daniel is also. All of these can be very challenging parts of the Bible. But here's what's so cool about apocalyptic literature and visions like the one we're going to look at. What they do for us, if we can sort through them, is they they pull open or pull back the curtain. They give us a heavenly perspective of good and evil and of world history and all of time and of humanity, while we on our own, we only kind of see the surface level of things. The visions pull back the curtain for us as God's people. Everything is kind of packed in to verse 8, all of the important images, and then uh, the rest of the verses kind of tease it out. We read about a rider on a red horse. He's standing among the myrtle trees. The myrtle trees are in a ravine. Behind the rider are red, brown, and white horses. So we're going to look at these. We're going to do some comparison with the rest of Scripture I believe God has an amazing message for us. First of all, we see that this vision tells us that in spite of appearances, in spite of what we can see on the surface level, God is on the move. In spite of appearances, God is on the move. And friends, we got to hear this today. Last week, someone who had a beef against organized religion, walked into a college classroom, asked the Christians to stand and shot them dead when they did. Right around that same time, on the other side of the world, maybe within a day or so, someone in the upper ranks of the Russian military walked onto an American base in the Middle East and announced that within the hour, the Russians were going to start bombing Syria. And he's like, "Just, just so you know, wasn't asking permission. And now they are. And so the American military, as I understand it, is helping one group in Syria. The Russians are helping another group. I'm just a regular citizen, and what do I know? But this does not seem like a good situation to me. In fact, it seems downright scary. We look out and and we see these sorts of things, and, and we see a lot more than that on the surface level of the world and history as God's people. We, you know, we, we look out as God's people and we see this trend that's been identified among churches in North America that the average committed church member who used to attend church a few decades ago, twice a Sunday, now in our day, 2015, the average committed church member averages two worship services a month. Now, we do a lot better than that at faith as a people, but we see the results of that trend in the church world in North America. It affects us too. You know, we see too in our nation people leaving the traditional church for either little to no church at all, or they're leaving for non traditional churches that have left behind historic worship and left behind historic teachings of God's Word and the church. We see, we see things that are concerning for the church. They're concerning for God's people. They're concerning for the next generation. What, is what did the people in Zechariah's day see? What did God's people see then? Well, God's people then were trying to regroup after 70 years in exile. They had been allowed to return to the land of Israel. Thank the Lord for that. But Their land was in ruins. Their place of worship was in ruins. God's city, Jerusalem, the walls were broken down. and, And they were still under foreign oppression. They weren't off in Babylon, but now Persia occupied them. This was all such a big deal because God's presence, God's promises in Old Testament times were directly tied to the nation Of Israel. The Old Testament church and Israel and Jerusalem, that was all tied together. So we're not just talking about Israel, Jewish people, we're talking about God's Old Testament people, the church back then. And it was a wreck. It was a wreck. The Old Testament church's glory days were long gone. The myrtle trees in the vision represent God's people. Myrtle trees were often listed in the category of trees, but they're really more like shrubs. They were evergreens that reached about eight or nine feet high. They had these delicate star-like flowers that, that are very fragrant. They smelled as good or better than a beautiful perfume. The myrtle trees are the people of God. We're told that the myrtle trees were in a ravine. A ravine is a deep valley. They were in a, a low place. Ravine is the same word that means the deep in the Old Testament. And even it sometimes means the watery Deep, like the Spirit of the Lord hovering over the waters when the earth was formless and void before creation. It represents stormy chaos and trouble and dark and scary times. And it, even in other places in the Bible, sometimes refers to the satanic powers that are against God and against his people. So the vision is saying that God's people find themselves in the deep. In the storm, it's bleak. They're in the valley. Where's God? The ravine in the vision could very well have been the Kidron Valley that's very close to Jerusalem. And if you were down in the Kidron Valley, God's people could look up to that city of Jerusalem. And of course, what they'd see in Zechariah's day was ruins, crumbled walls. And isn't it true, the mountain peak of God's blessings that we've seen in our lives, it can feel very, very far away when, when we're down in the deep and in the valley. And sometimes we're in that ravine. Sometimes the storms of life swirl around God's people. And the good times can seem very far away when we're struggling. But that's not all there is. We've got this rider. We've got these horses. Their colors weren't as strange as they sound to us. Red, brown, white. Red was probably just a chestnut brown, which is a typical horse color. And brown would be a lighter brown colored horse and white. So they were regular varied horses horse colors. Horses in the Bible are, without a doubt, a military reference. So the rider in front of the other horses would be the guy in charge of the cavalry, the captain. Zechariah asks, what is this? And we're told these are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they've come back with the report. So God sent out a military squadron to go behind enemy territory throughout the world to check on the state of things in the world. What's the state of things in the world? The report is that the world is at rest and peace. That's verse 11. That's the report. Sounds like a fabulous report, but it's not. This is a bad report, and it reflects the picture of the myrtles in the deep. It's talking about the Persian Empire being in charge. The enemy of God's people has everyone under its thumb. Although God promises to destroy wickedness, yet it reigns over the earth and nothing seems to threaten it. God promises to right all wrongs and yet it seems that those who reject God are doing just fine. All is well for them. That's the peace it's talking about. All is well for them. They're making money. They're going on vacations. They're living it up. All is at peace and rest in that sense. But despite appearances, we're told God is on the move. There's more than meets the eye. There's more than just this ragtag group of Jews trying to rebuild out of the ruins. The church seems to be in shambles, having no influence, but God is on the move. God has armies of angels at his disposal these troops of horses, this military force, and they're at work, they're amassing, they're gathering, and they're ready to go out at a moment's notice. God's sovereign eye and his care remains over the entire earth. And we can be encouraged by this. It's like 2 Kings 6, when Elisha And his servant, they were surrounded by the enemy. Horses and chariots were all around the city. remember this in the Bible? What shall we do, said the servant. And he's shaken in his boots. Elisha said, Lord, open my servant's eyes. The Lord opened his eyes and the servant saw that in the hills surrounding the city, there were horses and chariots of fire. God's angel armies were active. They were present. Back then, they were in Zechariah. His angel armies are today too. You can trust that there is more going on in this world and in your life than what we sometimes see just with our eyes. You can trust and know that God is present and God is on the move. Second in these verses, God tells us, that he'll never relent on his promises. And this is starting in verse 12, where the angel of the Lord says, How long, O Lord? How long is it going to be like this? That's the cry that we get in the Psalms many times, too. How long, Lord, will evil go about unchecked? How long till you make this mess in our world and in our lives right? Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, but it's definitely not true now. The proud, the arrogant, the ruthless inherit the earth. Oh Lord, at Faith Church, we're working so hard to preach your word, to love those in and outside the church and to share the gospel and live for you. But we don't always see the results as much as we would like to. God has promised to bring a savior out of the nation of Israel, all those centuries. But in Zechariah's day, there's not much left of God's people. How will it ever happen that this Savior will come to make things right and forgive our sins? But Then God says something in the midst of that situation and these questions, something that we know really well from our sermon series of the summer. He's going to keep his promises. He says in verse 14, I am jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. He's, he says, you see, you are still my special people. He says, I'm not going to forget about you. It looks hard, but I haven't forgotten you. And then he says in verse 16, I will return. He promised in verse 3 to return if the people return to him. And he's going to make that promise come true. He's going to keep it. So this is a tremendous Comfort, we're all promise breakers, but God is the promise keeper. He won't forget us. His word will come to pass. He'll always care for his people, even when it feels hopeless. Third, the vision shows us that all's well that ends well. We read at the end of our verses that it's all going to come together in the end. God will return to Jerusalem. His house will be rebuilt. The towns of his people are going to be overflowing with prosperity. The Lord will come once again to comfort Zion, his people. God's going to work all things out. God's got the end game in mind as a prophetic vision these verses have multiple layers of meaning god is talking most immediately about the fact that jerusalem will be rebuilt that would happen the population would increase and grow but but history would show that the jerusalem over there in israel was not the true end goal And it's because even while Jerusalem would be be rebuilt, they would remain under foreign oppression. After Persia, the Greeks would take them over. After the Greeks, the Romans. And then in 70 A.D., the Romans totally wiped out Jerusalem, and the Jews were scattered among the nations. They were scattered until not that long ago in world history. In 1948, the nation of Israel was reestablished after World War II. Some Christians see in apocalyptic literature like this that God's end game is centered around that earthly Jerusalem. I personally believe the Bible does seem to indicate that God could have some special plans for the people of Israel in the end time. However, the Bible, after Jesus comes into the world, is all about what it calls the new Israel. And the new Israel are those who belong to Jesus. In the New Testament, we're called, you and I are called the children of Abraham. Even if we don't have Jewish blood, we're called the children of Abraham through faith in Jesus. That is is the people of God now. And the Jerusalem that the Bible talks about after Jesus is the new Jerusalem. It's not earthly Jerusalem restored, but it's a picture of heaven, the new heavens, the new earth. Zechariah looks beyond the immediate future to the goal of all of history and the end of time. When God will be all in all, when there will be true and lasting peace for all his people because wickedness has been done away with. So, kind of exciting and nerve wracking times for the Cubs. Now that they've come this far and they seem to have exceeded expectations this season, we're thinking maybe in a few years be able to compete. Now that they come this far, we want to see them keep going. Now think about it. If you knew for a fact the end result, if you knew through a prophecy from the Lord or in one of the Back to Future movies that mentions it, that the Cubs would take the World Series in 2015, wouldn't that make a big difference for each of the games now and each series We wouldn't sweat so much that we still got to win two or three games from those Cardinals because we know the outcome. The good guys are going to win. And here's the thing. Game by game, the church might not always prosper how we might want it to. The powers of the world seem to have the upper hand sometimes. In fact, God seems to promise in his word that we won't always be on the mountaintop. There will be those times, and they're promised for us individually, they're promised for the church as a whole. There will be those times that we get beat up, maybe even a 4-0 loss, and it hurts and we worry, but we know God is going to make all things right. There are ups and downs, but we are on the winning side. It will be worth it in the end. God's victory is coming. That's the promise. All is well. That ends well. It will end well. Finally this morning, you can be assured that in all of this, God being on the move, God's promises being fulfilled, and him having the end game in mind and working it all out, you can be assured that he will not leave you behind. You can have that assurance today. You can be assured that you yourself are with the Lord, that you're on the winning side. And the key is that man riding the red horse, the captain of the Lord's armies, he's called The angel of the Lord in verse 11. And that's a very key term. As the visions go on, we're going to see very clearly that this guy is more than an angel. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus himself. God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. The Son was born of a woman and he came at Christmas. But he existed before then. Jesus was around before becoming a man because he has always been fully God. And he shows up multiple times in the Old Testament. He's often called the angel of the Lord. He met with Abraham. Very similar to our text, he met with Joshua before the battle of Jericho. It was the captain of the Lord's armies assuring that God would give the people the city. You know what he also is? He's the rider on that horse with a sword in his hand in the book of Revelation who will defeat Satan and his armies. That is who is standing among the myrtle trees. He's in the midst of his people as they're struggling and wondering, being bombarded, living in the deep. It's sometimes not so obvious to us, but Zechariah shows he is present. The rider is with us, and that means that God is with us. Those three groups of horses with the three colors, we're not exactly sure if each color has a particular meaning. But what is pretty obvious from the colors, if you imagine that, that dark chestnut, reddish, dark brown, beautiful horse color, the light brown, the white, that even in the deep, even in the shadows, they would be striking, almost like fire, like flames, like the prophet Elijah when he went up to heaven in in a fiery chariot, like the pillar of fire that led Israel by night in the wilderness, and they represent God's presence. God was present with his people. And of course, we see that God is present with his people, especially in the coming of Jesus, because Jesus is called Emmanuel. It means God is with us, and that's our fullest and most ultimate assurance that he is with us. He came, he fought the battle against the darkness and the deep on the cross. He came out victorious when he rose again from the dead, and he did it to rescue his people from the darkness. In the midst of the deep, in the valley, he is there among the myrtle trees. Jesus is there in the midst of his people, his church, riding that horse, the sword held high, leading you and me through the storm. The ultimate victory is assured because he won the decisive battle against Satan on the cross. And he sends the personal presence of God, the Holy Spirit, into each of our hearts so the very presence of God is aflame in you and in me to assure you that he's taking you along too, safely through, to the end. Our rider in the storm, our Jesus, just look to him, give him your heart, give him your all, all will be well. He's standing here today amongst his people. He's with you through the ups and downs. He'll see you through to that ultimate victory day so you can be steady in the storm now. When there's a hard day, when there's a battle, when there's a seeming loss, you just shake your head and smile. It can hurt. The wounds will smart, but it's going to be fine. Our rider, our hero, has done the work His angel armies surround us, and he's with us right now. He is present with us here in Faith Church. He's with you, his child, our rider in the storm, our Jesus. Look to him. Worship him. Never leave his side. Okay?